the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. change your attitude change your life's conversations with joan i'm joan herman thanks for tuning in conversations with joan focuses on topics that are important to your life from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being change makers join me to share their insights tips and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now thank you for taking time for yourself and thank you for letting us be a part of your life now let's start talking Today's guest, Guy Finley, believes that we can use the wisdom of the world's great spiritual masters to not only weather the difficulties we experience, but to actually come out stronger on the other side. According to Guy, hidden within each of us lives a greatness with the power to transform us into more awake, kind, and compassionate people. Guy is an internationally renowned spiritual teacher and best-selling author. He is the founder and director of the Life of Learning Foundation. Welcome, Guy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Joan. I'm glad to be with you. Well, Guy, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I always enjoy our time together, and it's never enough time. So I want to dive <laughs> right into this topic. I want to start off by talking about this greatness that you believe we all have within us. What type of greatness are you talking about? It's all around us, and it's all within us every moment of our life. But the problem is we aren't reminded of who and what we are and can be because the world that we live in and parts of ourselves that we're not very aware of are always reminding us of just the opposite If we look at our thoughts on a daily basis, if something in the news or at work or something someone says doesn't remind us that there's a problem, doesn't remind us that we have made mistakes, doesn't remind us that we need to be afraid, then all day long we can start to recognize that there is another thing that we can be reminded of. Because really, Joan, and I ask you to be advocate for your listeners when I, when I look at the news, what am I reminded of? I'm oh. reminded of everything that's wrong in the world, right? Right. Uh, I, I, when I pick up the, 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 uh, the photo album and I see my brother or my sister who hurt me, am I reminded of love or am I reminded of something very painful from my past? If we're getting these messages continually about the pain, how do we find that greatness within us? Well, the first step is to actually understand that we are presently anyway filled with this tendency to not just be focused on the negative but to see that there's actually something in us that wants us to be reminded of that 
it, it, it's subtle, but like, for instance, why is somebody all the time looking at their finances? Why do we check ourselves in the mirror? All of these things all day long that we do are not done by accident. Something is reminding us to look at and think about what, as we do that, Joan, will bring us into some kind of negative state where we lose our power instead of understanding on the flip side that we can be reminded of what is beautiful. We can be reminded of what is great, what is true. But we have to first actually remember that our task is to remind ourselves. Now, let's look at the word carefully because it's part of what I talk about. To remind myself means that I am bringing myself into another mind. I am reminded. I am joining my mind to another mind. In this instance, our minds are joined to the mind of the past, the mind of our failures, the mind of all things that are negative and limiting. But we know because just because we can go outside on a beautiful day or look at a starry night that we can be reminded of majesty. We can be reminded of balance and harmony. But the world doesn't remind us of that. So it is up to us to remember we need to remind ourselves, to join ourselves to another kind of mind, another order of thought. That's everything that I'm talking about. Guy, does doing that make us uncomfortable? Do you think we self-sabotage because we're more comfortable in our own pain? Absolutely, Joan. And you and I have talked before. There is something terribly familiar about having an enemy and thinking about what he did 20 years ago or what's going to happen at the office because they've called a special meeting. So my mind immediately projects that there's going to be some kind of layoff or tragedy. And the world, to the point you've just made, it literally whirls around and around doing that in a way, always bringing us to this precipice of looking into an abyss where there's a problem of pain, some health issue, some COVID, new something happening. And now we are reminded to be afraid. Gee, I wish I was able to say these things better. What in God's name wants to remind me to meet a moment full of fear? Or am I, as a creation of what is divine, here to be reminded that every minute of my life can be used to not just transcend some problem or fear, but to actually grow through discovering that I don't need to be reminded of those fears. I need to be reminded of what is fearless in myself and live from that. So we all have this happiness set point within us, which is our comfort level of pleasure. And when we go beyond that, you know, I know myself, we self-sabotage to bring ourselves back to that comfort level that you're speaking about. How do we move forward to raise that level of pleasure and joy? How do we go about doing this? I love that question. I have presented a webinar called uh, Find the Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And it's based on a book of mine called The Secret to Search the Sacred. And in that book, Joan, I have taken and collected over a period of, in my own life, well over 60 years now, of quotations of all the saints, prophets, masters, from 5,000, 6,000 years ago to present date, where these men and women brought into this world what I call 
seeds of fire, things that when we hear them, truths that when we hear them, we're reminded of something that is invisible, something that already lives within us that we have forgotten because we're constantly reminded by this world of where it is that we have to be afraid. So the first step is to remember that you're not in this life to be afraid. The first step is to understand that the dissatisfaction we have with life isn't really because of life itself, but because there's something in us when life brings us what it does, reminds us it's not enough. It reminds us we have to have more. You will not find a moment's dissatisfaction in your life that isn't born out of comparison. And if we really understand that idea, that means that something in me, in Joan, is always comparing itself to what it could have, should have been, or shouldn't have happened. And living from that mind, Joan, being always reminded of our limitations is the real limitation. Other than that, we don't really have them because we're created to outgrow all of these things that we presently live in the fear of. You talk about living in in a mind of comparison, but boy, isn't that what social media does for us? I mean, when you go on Facebook or Instagram, it basically is set up to make us feel inadequate. Yes, it is. That is exactly right. See, that's what we're looking at. We're really talking about the possibility. You said, where does one begin? One begins by recognizing that without knowing, that's why self-knowledge is so important, new ideas like what we're talking about it. Without knowing it, I have literally agreed to enter daily, moment to moment, into a world where everything reminds me of what I don't have or that someone else has what I want, where I'm reminded that tomorrow isn't going to turn out that well because things are getting more bleak all the time. I'm reminded by what this world is endlessly taunting me with, telling me if I could just be this or be that. I would be whole and happy. The key here, Joan, is to understand that we don't need more power to be a happy human being. We don't need more possessions. What we need is to wake up and begin to drop, let go of what is making us feel powerless. That's what you just described. That's what this journey is about. Letting go of all the things that we constantly turn to that as we do, remind us, you know what, guy, you're not enough. You're not going to make it. You don't understand. You're not good enough. All of those voices belong to a level of consciousness intent on keeping us a captive by reminding us of our inherent captivity, which is all in memory and a lie. You know, what what you just shared, it, it really does illustrate the power of words. I mean, you what you did through your book and through your program, you're sharing the wisdom of powerful, nurturing words. And by contrast, what we say to ourselves, that disempowers us. That's how we keep ourselves small. Yes. That's why it's so critical that we, as human beings, begin at least, how about this for a simple start? Can I, before I do all the things that I'm about to do, we get up in the morning and most of us are in a race that never ends. Can I just get up in the morning and pick up a good, true book? Maybe it's the Bible. Maybe it's some scripture if I'm, if I'm uh, from the East, some, some true idea. Because if I can read one true idea, here's one. The limit of my present view is not the limit of my possibilities. You see, 
something in me looks out at the world and it says, gee, guy, you know what? You're, you're in a terrible spot. Doesn't look like you're going to get out of it. Everything's set against you. When I wake up and I start thinking, now I've got to go fight and claw my way through life. What am I being reminded of and what's reminding me of it? But if I can pick up a true book, listen to something that's true, something that's beautiful, spend a moment in nature, I can be reminded in that moment that there is a greatness that I do not have to create. Rather, I just have to remind myself of and then begin to live that life. So that self-awareness, reminding ourselves, all of that creates the seeds then that builds the fire of moving forward, of our life, of living an empowered, strong, loving, beautiful life. Yes. Again, we need this knowledge. You know, uh, the Masters Golf Tournament, maybe you like ballet or you watch the Olympics or there's someone that you just love to hear them sing. When we're moved by another human being's mastery of something, the reason we're moved by it is because we're reminded in that moment that we ourselves have that in us already, or we wouldn't be drawn to it. We wouldn't long to participate in that broader set of powers, though we may not have the physical mastery or the power that that person does. Still, we have that character. It is divine in nature. And when we see it and we feel it, we're reminded that it belongs to us and we belong to it. So that then we begin to remind ourselves of what is noble. We're reminded of what is good and true. You read a book like Viktor Frankl's In Search of Meaning. Mm-hmm. Here's a man thrown into a Nazi camp and, and in the worst possible circumstances, but he is reminded there of what is noble and good and true. And he changes the life of everyone around him because instead of being reminded by his circumstances of the misery and the hatred in humanity, he's reminded of the possibility of compassion. He's reminded of the possibility of transcending conditions by aligning ourselves with another order of mind that is already in us, or we wouldn't be able to talk about it. This is what we're describing here, Joan. That's what this work that I'm doing and this webinar that I just gave is all about. So, Guy, taking these possibilities out into the world, we've really, you know, all of us, we've been going through some very challenging times, and the world seems to be divided. So what is our responsibility, each one of us, to make this a better world? Our responsibility is every moment of our life that we can remember to do so, to place ourselves as best we're able to do in line with those thoughts and feelings that are noble in basis, true in aspiration, and perfecting in terms of allowing us to produce from those thoughts and feelings the actions that we know are best. I'll say it simply now. Do what's right. Do the right thing. I mean, let's say you get up in the morning, Joan, and most of us do, and our minds are filled with all the stuff we have to get done all the lingering problems, everything we're still hoping uh, to, to achieve. We're, we're filled in those moments with a mind that is caught in an endless, hopeless, futile, according to Ecclesiastes, attempt to produce something that is going to finally bring us peace. We don't produce peace. We begin with it. If we can just understand that something as simple as that, and that if I don't start in peace, it doesn't matter where I go, because I'm going to wind up 
with where I start. And if I'm anxious and afraid and I start there, that's the seed of the moment. Take one right thought, one right feeling, one true wish, and make that the seed of the moment and then plant it and then work at it, till it, nourish it, and watch it grow into something that brings you the nobility and the freedom that your heart of hearts longs for. So shifting from a me to a we mentality, we we create a ripple effect that goes out into the world. And, you know, it's one small act, one small thought, but it really does magnify and it can change the world. I love that. That's so critical to understand. It's not my anxiety. It's not Joan's anger. It's not any listener's fear. These negative energies are part of a level of consciousness that we all live in and from without even knowing that we're born into it. We are literally born into a world that as we begin to mature, starts to remind us that in order to be successful, we have to achieve X, Y, and Z. And then as we don't achieve X, Y, and Z, or we miss the mark, we're reminded that we're a failure. When instead we need to enter into this life, understanding our task is to remind ourselves and find ways to do it, that we already have what is good and noble. And if we will work and live from that, then that work, our effort in that consciousness changes the whole of that consciousness so that it isn't just we, you and I as individuals who begin to change, but rather the whole of that consciousness is affected by our wish to remember ourselves, remind ourselves properly. Guy, you shared before that you wrote about words of wisdom. So what is one of your favorite quotes from the book, and what does it mean to you? Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I think that maybe my favorite quote, because it's so encapsulating, is by Rumi. He was a Persian poet in the 15th century. And he said, uh, the, the, the antidote is in the venom. The antidote is in the venom. What he was saying is that if we want to be free, it isn't through the pursuit of freedom. It is by discovering where it is that we are being, being reminded, self-reminded, world-reminded, that we are, in fact, in need of freeing ourselves, that we must do something to change the world we see instead of changing the, the, instead of changing the way we see the world. That's what the real work is, if we change the way we see the world, then everything about the world we experience changes. It is an inside job. That's what it means. We remind ourselves that letting go, being true, finding love is an inside job. Then we are on the path to not just making our lives more profitable, but everyone we meet in the same way. And that's it right there, Guy, because we look to the external to fulfill us. And like you're yeah. saying, it is an inside job. That's the message. It, 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 and look, <clears throat> again, w when I wake up, when I look out at the world and I'm thinking about what I have to get done, I'm actually looking outside of myself. This is a very powerful idea. Our thoughts are actually outside of who we are. And they're not even our thoughts. Right. Because when I look at the thought that I'm not worthwhile, I don't have value unless I achieve certain things, then the value of my life depends upon someone else saying, you've done good, you're a good person. 
But if I realize that instead of looking outside of myself and trying to make the world that I see conform to what I want it to do, to remember, to remind myself, the real world is not outside of myself. The real world is the world within me that is capable of seeing what a fool's errand it is to try to prove that I'm worthwhile by having others agree that I am. That is the definition of resentment and fear. The definition of greatness is understanding that greatness already lives within us and to seek it nowhere else. Guy, you mentioned your program, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Where can our listeners go to access that on demand? Go to guyfinley.org forward slash bridge. Guy Finley, G-U-Y-F-I-N-L-E-Y dot org forward slash bridge. Guy, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is that there is not another human being on this planet who can do or be what you are meant to do or be. But in order to fulfill your purpose, you must discover what you are. When you know the truth about yourself, you know the truth of everything that you will ever need to know about how to be a successful, content, contributing human being. Guy, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I have enjoyed speaking with you, and I look forward to when you'll come back. (laughs) It's always great speaking with you, Joan. Thank you always for this opportunity. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be back, Joan. Thank you. So, Eileen, in your work, you talk a lot about the need for a culture shift. Can you discuss that with us a bit today? What do you mean by that? Um, I I do. I, I think we absolutely are long overdue for a culture shift. And I would just like um, all of us to... When we turn on TV next, for example, start counting 
the number of commercials that deliver messages about how we women should look in whatever way. And underneath that message or blatantly in that message that we women are flawed, we are imperfect, and, of course, because it's a commercial, we can fix whatever it is that is flawed by buying the products and the services, the services that uh, the advertiser is selling. And this is the kind of culture. And again, how can we not see it when there is such a preponderance of these messages, not only on TV, but in magazines, newspapers, and in some ways in, um, in movies and TV, I said TV, but movies that we are watching as well. And so the culture shift needs to be about our letting go of that culture of imperfect or the culture of actually the culture of perfection and recognizing that we are all just wonderful and perfect and fine and beautiful the way we are. So Eileen, you just said that what we as women need to do is to let go of these ideas that we've been taught But how do we do that? How do we let go of these patterns? Well, again, a wonderful question because it's really, I think it's challenging, to be very honest with you, because uh, we are bombarded with the messages that say uh, that we'll be lovable and desirable and we'll get the perfect job and the perfect man or the perfect partner if we do Uh, buy into the culture as is. So I want to say right up front that it's challenging. And for me, what I did specifically was I stopped buying, oh God, many years ago, 20, 30 years ago, I stopped buying fashion magazines and exercise magazines because they were making me really uncomfortable. And they were alien to um, the message that I was sending to myself and that I was starting to send to other women. And um, I created, in a way, a counterculture program with Find Body Freedom that helps women explore their own innate wisdom, but also their innate beauty. Eileen, how does your program, Find Body Freedom, help us do this? Well, the program uh, focuses on us learning about our own individual bodies. In other words, the program offers uh, explorations for each woman who participates in the program so that she will learn about her own innate body wisdom. And it offers guidelines about eating, and it offers research about Uh, actually even how much exercise we need to do in order to be and stay healthy. But see, here's the thing, Joan, for me. We can't expect a culture shift if we keep supporting the messenger, the messenger meaning uh, the people who are sending these advertising commercials with these products and services. Because here's the important thing, beyond this and underneath everything is the truth that we are of beauty and value and worth. And if we're looking at all of these externals 
that are uh, purported in the mainstream culture now, we're not going to find that innate beauty, value, or worth. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or about Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. We'll be right back. Fear is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods, and there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen. With no factual basis, they usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, Here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath, taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, David Baldacci, has been writing since childhood. He published his first novel, Absolute Power, in 1996, and it was adapted into a feature film with Clint Eastwood as its director and star. David is one of the most popular authors writing today. He's back with his new book, A Gambling Man. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, David, you have a new book out. As a best-selling novelist, what is it that keeps you inspired to keep writing? You know, I've been writing since I was a kid, as you mentioned, and um, I did it for many years without any compensation. I just did it for the sheer love of storytelling and putting words on a piece of paper and coming up with characters. Um, and I've, I've really never um, done it any other way now that I'm a published novelist. I've written you know, almost 50 novels and had some success. 
I still approach it as a little kid with a piece of paper and coming up with stories and characters and using my imagination, and that has worked really well for me. I think if I stopped and thought, you know, you're not, you're sort of a mini conglomerate, you've got all these people's livelihoods depending on you turning out books every year, blah, 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 that I'd sort of be paralyzed and would be able to write a single word. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm just an eight-year-old kid sitting in a, in a room uh, with a piece of paper and an idea. David, do you think that's why you've been able to write all these books, because you approach it like a little kid? Absolutely. I, I think there's no doubt about that at all. I mean, I, I know a lot of writers who consider it a job, and they do their you know, 2,000 words a day or five pages a day, and that's fine. That works for them. But for me, I, just, I need to have that idea that this is sort of a creative process, uh, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no set way to do it. There's no formula. You're just, you know, one person with one imagination trying to tell interesting stories that other people will find entertaining and informative. And I've always approached my work that way. I think I found that if I write about things that fascinate me, I can write them in a way that will fascinate other people. So picking my subject is very important. I think so many people who aspire to be writers, they chase trends. You know, they want to write the next Da Vinci Code or the next Jurassic Park or the next David Baldacci because they think it's going to sell. The problem is they're not interested in the subject, and that's reflected in their prose and their plots and their characters, and it ends up in a sludge pile. So if you really do want to write, find about something that you're passionate about, fascinated by, want to learn a lot about, and all of a sudden you're plotting your characters and your storytelling and your and your sentence structures are just much better, and you're going to get out of that sludge pile. So I try to pick my subjects very carefully. Where do you get your story ideas? Are, are any of them based on people that you know? I, I have walked through my life uh, thinking that everybody I meet, everything I see is potential material for a story, and that's just the way I've always approached it. People say, where do you get your ideas? I said, I wake up every day and I walk out the door. Um, I don't stare at my smartphone. I don't, you know, endlessly text and tweet and all that stuff. I go out and I watch people. I talk to people. I see things. I observe things. And, you know, I see two people talking. I wonder what they're talking about. I see one of them leave and walk around the corner. I wonder what's going to happen to him. I see a bus go by, and I wonder who's on it and where they're going. Um, It's just about asking yourself questions about ordinary things, observations you make in life, and then you sprinkle a little imagination into it, and all of a sudden you have a story that might be interesting to people. You make the ordinary extraordinary. So for me, it's just like I wake up every day and I walk out the door. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, wait a minute, that character looks a little bit like me? (laughs) (laughs) All the time. And I always say, you're absolutely right. It was totally based (laughs) on you. Um, The last thing they want to hear is, you know, you're not in the book. I'm really, really sorry. And I reserve that just for people that I don't really like at all. And I just lay that zinger on them. (laughs) So you have a lot of people walking around angry at you (laughs) all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, such is life. What can I do? (laughs) (laughs) So, David, tell us about your new book, A Gambling Man. This is the second uh, novel in the Aloysius Archer series. It's set in 1949, so, you know, sort of historical fiction. It's crime to war, kind of like, you know, the big sleep in Chinatown. And there's a guy named Aloysius Archer. He's an ex-World War II vet. He's only 27, uh, but he's lived a lot of life already. He's been in prison for a few years for a crime uh, that, as he says, he was guilty of being stupid. And now um, he wants something to do with his life. Interesting. He wants to be a private investigator, a gumshoe, a shaman. So he's heading to California to learn under the tutelage of a legendary PI named Willie Dash. Along the way in Reno, 
he meets a woman named Liberty Callahan, who's a showgirl. She wants to be an actress, so she joins him in his journey to California. Eventually, she wants to go to Hollywood. And he also picks up by sort of a circuitous series of events, a 1939 Delahaye car, a French-made car. It's blood red, convertible, one of the most beautiful cars in the world. It's a real car. And uh, they drive in that together over the mountains to California. Along the way, they have a very traumatic event that sort of bonds them together. And he gets to, Calif- to California, and he starts working for Willie Dash, and they're involved immediately in a case involving blackmail and murder. Uh, so he really hits the ground running. So I finished the book last night, and I have to tell you, it is a wonderful read. And, you know, David, before we run out of time, I, I have two things I want to ask you. The, the first is... You gave authors a a bit of advice about how to approach writing a story, but what about the process? What advice do you offer for someone to actually perhaps get an agent and get a book deal? So here's the thing. When I I was trying to get my first book uh, represented by an agent, I would go to the bookstore, and anytime I ever heard about a first-time novelist hitting it really big, I'd go to the bookstore and look in the acknowledgments, and they always thank their agent in the acknowledgments. And that told me two things about the agent. One, they accepted first-time novelists. Some don't. Some only represent novelists who've already established. And two, that agent had the wherewithal to get the first-time novelists through the continental publishing. So I got a series of names of agents, and I sent my manuscript up to seven of them. And I said, you know, I'm David Baldacci. I'm a lawyer in Washington. This book is about the president, a burglar, a cover-up. And I guarantee if you read the first page, you won't stop until you read the last page. Sincerely, me. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, I thought if I exuded confidence in my material, they would feel confident in my material. And secondly, I figured that throwing that gauntlet down, I figured all of them would read the book so they could call me up and tell me that I sucked, (laughs) (laughs) that I wasn't any good at all. So six of the seven called me back and said, we'd love to be your agent. The seventh one who who passed on it, I met him years later at some book event. He came over to me and he said, first, congratulations on what has been an astounding career. Secondly, I just wanted to tell you, you're the biggest effing mistake I've ever made in my whole career. (laughs) And I, and I said, I said, no, I'm not. I said, at that point in time, you didn't connect with the material. That's your job. If it didn't feel right, you passed on it. That's exactly what you should have done. And so I, you know, I picked an agent. Um, and he's still my agent to this day. Um, he's a great friend and great counselor. So I, I would tell people, be as imaginative in seeking out how you're going to get your book out there to agents and publishers or, or as you are in crafting the stories. Be on the lookout for any advantage, whether it be finding names of agents through the way I just mentioned or networking with friends who might know a published author or might know an agent. Somebody knows somebody knows somebody. Um, and that and that works well, I think. But be smart about it. You know, Read a lot about the industry. Know what you're getting into. Don't go in and, and know nothing about publishing. It's a complicated world. The more you know about it, the better you can manage your own career. And finally, David, you have a foundation that supports adult and family literacy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Wish You Well Foundation, my wife and I founded it about 20 years ago. Our primary purpose is to fund literacy organizations and programs across the country. Uh, we've done programs in pretty much all 50 states and counting. We get five or 6,000 applications a year at requesting money. Last year during the pandemic, we gave out more money and funded more programs than any other time in our history for obvious reasons. I think the pandemic has exposed that we are a have and have not country. We have people who, you know, are at the low end of the wage scale. They were the ones who had to go to work, couldn't work remotely, got sick, lost everything, or else they were the first fired and the last ones to come back. And kids across the country, you know, not every place has um, broadband. Not every child has a laptop at home, so they were left behind as well. 
So our job is to make sure that every person in this country has the ability to read at a high level. If we succeed in doing that, we will make this world a much better place for everyone, guaranteed. The book is The Gambling Man. If you'd like to get more information about David and his work, you can visit davidbaldacci.com. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you looking for success in sales, maybe marketing or operations? In whatever areas of your business that you want success, it will require change. People want something they can feel certain about, especially in uncertain times. However, the only constant and what they can count on is change. Many people resist change because they feel admitting they need to improve or do things differently is the same as admitting they were wrong. As you strive to bring about positive change in your life, past conditioning will tug at your mind. You may feel trapped between the way you have always done things or what used to be right and what you now know as an adult is a more appropriate and productive attitude. If that happens, you will find your need to be right, which is a powerful human need, may actually work against what you now know to be right for your professional and personal growth. If this happens, remember, change is a part of life itself and critical to your success. If your ego gets in the way because of that need to be right, focus intensely on your goals. Your success today is determined by your ability to positively respond to change. What might have been right for you yesterday simply may not be right today. If you'd like to learn more, reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at star1professional.com or call 732-705-5060. Did you know that athlete's foot can spread to other parts of the skin, including hands, groin, and scalp? Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, dietarist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Athlete's foot is a fungal infection of the skin, including between the toes. The fungus tends to thrive in warm, damp areas and can cause itching, cracking, blistering, and peeling of the feet. It's important to keep your feet clean and dry. Antifungal treatments in the form of sprays, powders, or lotions to apply to your feet are available in most drugstores. If the fungus is spreading or worsening after treatment, a person should see their doctor who can prescribe oral antifungal medications for the condition. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. Is it hard for you to make a decision at times? Or does it just seem difficult to solve a problem, whether at work or in your family life? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I have a master's in holistic health studies, and I am an ICF certified coach. I support all women at a crossroads in life by helping them find clarity and direction. I specialize in endometriosis and infertility. Here is a technique to try next time you find yourself in this situation. It is called the three-step process. It is three simple questions to ask yourself. Number one, what worked well in the past? Number two, why did it work well? Which strengths and natural gifts of yours did you use? And number three, how can you use those strengths and gifts to help with this issue or achieve your current goal? To learn more, to book a free discovery call or ask a question, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com. There, you will also be able to download other free gifts to help you move forward in life. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. 
Our next guest, Clelia Pergola, is the Chief Operating Officer of the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. In that role, it is her mission to support caregivers in order to help them rise above the frustrating and emotional responsibilities they have in their families. She is here today to discuss advocating for caregivers. Welcome, Clelia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Clelia, I know that it is very important to you personally to be an advocate for caregivers. Why do you feel that it's so important to advocate for those who take care of others? So I was a caregiver for six years for my grandparents. Uh, My grandfather uh, died suddenly with cancer, but left my grandmother behind. And she went through a slow decline, like I said, six years. So I went through the entire elder care journey with them and uh, from hospice to nursing homes to spending down assets and selling my childhood home. And it was one of the most difficult times in my life. And I, I was trying also to to build my, my own life. I was getting married. I bought a house. Um, I had my first child and then I ended up having my second. So I know personally firsthand how difficult it is to watch the person that was so strong and took care of you. Now you having a role reversal and having to now take care of them. I know a number of people who are going through a situation like you just described right now. They're caregivers. And the one thing that they say to me the most often is that they feel like they're not heard, like they don't have a voice. So do you think that, you know, a person who's in that role, do you think that they are often not being heard? Absolutely. I I think that it's for anybody that's gone through any sort of struggle you feel like you're not being heard because you're struggling and you have so many things that are going on in your life. And it's almost like you don't want to waste the time because it's so difficult and, and, and frustrating. So I, I think when, you know, caregivers voice their opinion, they they want to voice it to people that understand and, and can help them. And sometimes caregivers don't even want to ask for the help. Um, It's just an unspoken responsibility that they have and they don't lean on others. So I think part of, of my job is to empower caregivers to speak up in the first place. So you just mentioned the importance of asking for help. Are there any other strategies that you can share that can empower a caregiver so they remain physically and emotionally strong? I would say just surrounding yourself with the right people, uh, not only surrounding yourself by the right people, but find something in your life that helps you and whether that may be exercising or we hear it all the time, right? Just spend some time on yourself. Caregivers don't do that enough at, at all. Some, and you know, I like podcasts. So I listen to motivational podcasts like Oprah and you, Joan. So if you could find something that uh, gives you some balance and gives you an outlet and 
um, bring some positivity to your life, you'll find that it gives so much more back even if you spend that five or 10 minutes out of your day doing that. Chloe, how important is it for a caregiver to be educated, to reach out to someone like you for professional guidance? It's so important. I can't stress it enough to reach out to professional help. If you don't find professional help, what happens is is you become very reactive. For instance, someone falls and, uh, you know, they break their arm. They go to the hospital. The hospital treats the arm, maybe finds something else. But after, they'll discharge you to a rehab. Rehab will then decide, start having a conversation with you on what the next steps are from their perspective. And then they start, well, maybe mom can't come home. And, you know, maybe this is going to be more of a reoccurring situation. And so you become very reactive to the situation, whereas if you have professionals there to help you, it becomes more of a proactive planning situation. Like, okay, we've had this discussion before and this is what was discussed. And you know pretty much what you're going to do as a family. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us. You've been doing this for quite some time, and you've seen a lot of challenges that family members face. So if our listeners would like to learn more information about Claudia and her work, you can visit ClaliaPergola.com. Or as always, to hear more from Claudia, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com slash Claudia. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com.
us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.